Welcome back to another episode of Joy, Color, Impact, and Dogs. As you know, I am your host, Nick, and today is another one of my beloved Dealing with Whiteness episodes with Dr. Lynn Maureen Hurdle and Justin Naeem Hurdle Price. These episodes are sacred to me because I think they allow a window into a world that many of us just don't have enough opportunities to look into. And maybe it's not normal in our daily life to think about racism, to think about whiteness, to think about the way these things play out in little and big ways throughout the world. But it's become a really important part of my journey as a thought leader, as someone with a platform (laughs) to continue to just hold space for the conversation if nothing else. And so um, every month or so, we try and do one of these episodes together, get our busy schedules aligned. And today, the topic that we're discussing is so essential. I mean, I think all of them are, but this one in particular, I find really powerful and timely. So when this podcast airs, we will be heading into February, which is in many places, Black History Month. And there's a lot of conversation around the whole idea of Black History Month. Um, For better or worse, this is going to be topical. The topic for today is talking to your children about racial bias and about racism. And as you'll hear in the episode, I have been having this conversation with my kids for over a year, and they are two and four. So I don't think you can start too early. Um, And certainly it's never, ever too late. As early as six months old, a baby's brain can notice race-based differences. By ages two to four, children can internalize racial bias. And by age 12, many children become set in their beliefs. And these stats come from an article on healthychildren.org, which we'll include in the show notes. And um, we kind of use that as a starting point for our discussion today to kind of map out, like, how do we talk to our kids about race? When should we start and where to start the conversation, as well as deep diving into some really personal stories from Dr. Lynn and Justin about why this is so, so important that we do it. And I just wanted to take this opportunity as well to tell you a little bit about Dr. Lin, because I don't think we've done that recently. Dr. Lin is a conflict resolution strategist, a facilitator, speaker, and coach. She's the author of the bestseller, Closing Conflict for Leaders. And her sort of, her fame name is The Conflict Closer. And that's because she helps leaders get the skills they need to dig deep and finally close the door on conflicts that have been plaguing their business for too long. But the way I know her is because I got connected to her in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd, when lots of us white people were like, holy shit, we need to do something. Uh, this is not this is not a someone else problem. This is an everybody problem. I got introduced to Dr. Lynn and her program on the matter of race. So you'll hear me mentioning that. You'll see links if that's something you want to look into and explore. Um, every once in a while, Dr. Lynn will host the opportunity to sort of do a drop-in on one of these sessions. And I really, really encourage you, if you are um, a person of whiteness who is interested in exploring your own bias and figuring out ways you might 
might be able to help in the fight against racism, I really encourage you to jump into Lynn's world and get to know about the work she's doing and the opportunities that she offers. They do a really great summit about twice a year. And it's just been a while since we've had that conversation from these episodes on this podcast. So I wanted to make sure to mention some of Lynn's wonderful background. So let's dive in and have a discussion about how to talk to our children about race. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back. Hey! You've brought us a really juicy topic today, and I am excited. I think this is one of the most important conversations we could possibly have. So thank you for bringing it. And the gist of it is basically talking to kids about racism and about racial bias. Do you want to kick us off with kind of where your head's at on this topic? Yeah, it's been something that I've been extremely interested in, particularly because a lot of my career started out working in schools. And there are a lot of messages that get transmitted when you're in schools. And I really want parents and those who aren't parents, maybe your guardians, maybe you have godchildren, maybe you just have children in your life and you want to have conversations with them around racism. It's really important to be able to know that you can start that early on because children discover and notice differences early on. And I really wanted to bring that to the forefront so that we could really help people start to grapple with this on many different levels. So we're talking about home life, but we're also talking about in business, those who have brands and want to make sure that they are are diverse and that not just your clients, but what it is you're advertising. And that's not as easy as just putting up some photos, stock photos, right, with with different pictures. But I really wanted to make sure that we brought to the attention of people that this is something that you should be talking about early. As early as four years old, children notice in the U.S., uh, the work that I've done in the studies that I've seen, by four years old, they notice that it's better to be white than it is to be Black or to not be white. They, they, they already see the advantages and the differences of being who they are. And that hasn't changed, Right. We've had work that has shown us that from the doll experiment, that most kids will pick the white doll as being prettier or better. And and that's not just based on the skin color, that's based on the internalized messages already in them that say that this is who you want to be, that the features, not just the skin color, be the hair, it could just be the the shape, right? Uh, for Asians, the shape of the eyes gets put down as not being good or pretty, attractive. All of those things, skin tone, right? We talk about colorization. We're talking about how you want to look 
it's body size, all of those things get already internalized so that children, young children are already saying it's better to be white. And it's important for parents to understand or people to understand that it's not enough to say it, there is no difference. It's actually not good to say there is no difference. It's really so much better to honor the differences and to be able to help children talk about and process what it is that they're learning, whether it's from you or it's from society. Thanks for bringing up that point. I mean, so many good points there. (laughs) We're going to have to unpack all of that for sure. Um, I want to work through something that just happened this week, which I think is a really interesting example of this with my kids. But certainly I've seen that with them where you know, we went to the store and looked at the wall full of dolls. And I was, of course, <laughs> being in the zone of life I'm in. I'm like, oh, we're getting brown dolls. Like, there's no way we're walking away with white, blue-eyed dolls, you know. But my kids did not know that this was their future. So, you know, we started to look at dolls and they started to have conversations about which dolls and why. And I would say, what about this one? And what about this one? And the, there were comments about hair, comments about skin. And the general consensus, although, you know, I would not say my kids at this point are racist, there is definitely bias. And as you say, there's definitely an internalized belief that this is prettier. And it's so interesting because I have, you know, blonde, blue eyed, white children. And so for them, you know, there is a factor of what they see in the mirror and what they see around them. And then there's also, as you've said, These internalized messages that come from other sources, we're going to talk about media today, we're going to talk about, you know, a few other places where they're getting these messages from. But I've already been reading them, you know, books about Harriet Tubman. So they're not like, they're not devoid of the conversation completely at four, you know, which they would have been without you in my life, obviously. (laughs) So the example that happened this week is Phil got this version of like, um, guess who, you know, the game where you flip up the faces and you have to describe like, are they wearing a hat? It's like a process of elimination with faces. And this particular version is very diverse. There's turbans and there's all different colors of skin and different eye shapes and stuff. And it was really interesting because I found myself as we were starting to play the game and having conversations about people listening to like, what are they going to say? What are they not going to say? How are they going to say it? And so they like Chloe, my four-year-old was straight up was like, does he have brown skin? And I felt that old sort of tingle in me from my childhood where I would have been probably reprimanded for saying that, or it would have been obvious to me at that point that we don't talk about, we whisper, right? We don't talk about we don't say that we don't say black you know <laughs> and so it was like i had this like internal moment of conflict like oh what's the right thing is that the right thing was it and then i was like processing like yeah that's that's the right thing like this man has darker skin why is that weird why is it so weird just to say that yes yes and i mean justin talked about at one time we had this conversation where you were saying that you had said to us, I want to be white, something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think my case is very interesting. Um, I don't think it's the only one out 
there. I think that there's a lot of situations like this. But growing up, I went to uh, PWIs my entire life. So these are private white institutions. And I mean, obviously, the, the range uh, financially is different in different places. Uh, but I was in a very wealthy PWI from probably, I think, kindergarten to the start of high school is when I left and I, and I switched schools. Um, so that's a good, like formative amount of time that I had spent in this very wealthy. I mean, these are white children with drivers. These are white children who had the newest iPhone in sixth grade, right? Like Gucci belts as accessories in seventh grade, right? Like, let alone look at their one or two or three homes that they have in their, in their back pocket. And so I'll just make a note as well. We had a really good conversation about your school experience. I just want to call that out because we'll link that episode in the show notes because I think that's a really important one to dive into for people. Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of good stuff there, you know, that I'm still unpacking a lot from that experience to this day. So grateful, but, you know, it's definitely two sides of the coin. But, you know, I guess with as far as identity, yeah, it was it was very difficult for me because because watching it happen and of course when you're when you grow up and you get older you get you know a different lens a different perspective you really get to play these things back for you know what they are and not what you perceive them to be watching it happen like things were great between kids and and just uh our dynamics between like the grades of kindergarten or pre-k to about fourth or fifth right like like we were kids we were you know, yes, arguing about little kid stuff who gets picked on what team and when and for what sport and all that stuff, but nothing of any sort of malice, nothing of any sort of anything outside of just kid disputes or anything of that nature. Uh, however, these were this was a time when these things were coming into question because literally the jump from fifth grade to sixth grade was nap time, if we were lucky, right, recess and all that stuff, to iPhones, more access to these sources that are untrustworthy, are agenda-oriented, right, which only led to more, right, that looking at someone of color, not with real, like, intrigue, but with, like, I've seen this on my phone or on my social media, you look like this. So me looking at you is not of who are you and what are you about? It's me comparing and contrasting whatever Connecting the dots. And connecting the dots to see if there's dots that even connect. Mm -hmm. And the way you even find out if the dots connect is by going up and talking to someone. However, when you're a kid, it's not, and especially if you're not presented with those communication skills, right? Those communication uh styles right and and going through that process of what you identify with um early as well that vocalization comes out in ridicule it comes out in just mean comments and and bullying at times and things of that nature so that's sadly what i was 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 um dealt you know as as my hand um however i am grateful for that experience as it's only led me to really want to figure out okay well these are things that I can see too, right? Like we all see, we all share media in the sense of, you know, they're they're attacking everyone, right? Like they want everyone's 
psyche, but but also just self-esteem is I think the main thing that media tries to to attack. So I had to really look for myself at who am I, what do I identify with, and you know, what can I stand on? What do I want to be vocal about? What do I not want to be vocal about? But that to get to that process was definitely a, a very tough internal tug of war that I'm still currently uh, fighting and working through. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me, though, is because I had this same kind of thing when I grew up, when my parents moved us from an all black neighborhood to an all white neighborhood. What's interesting is it's. It, Yes, you went to this wealthy school. I didn't. I went to public schools, but it was clear to me that people had more money than my family did. But you didn't come home to us and say, "I want to be rich." I'm sure you wanted that. You said, "I want to be white." So the stronger message, right? The stronger message is around race and what that affords you when you don't look like who the system was designed for yeah i think just the last thing i'll add to that is you know um because because this was not the only private white institution that i attended you know we are especially in the black community right we can see the messaging in when someone speaks of a good school like what that really means and what that looks like and i'm telling you it's not one that's in our neighborhoods and sadly rightfully so Right. But I've been in 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 communities where you're right. I, I had said I want to be white and not just rich. Of course, that is something that I would love. But um, it was something of, of I recognize that there was just more opportunity if you looked white, because I'm seeing that the people that are running the classes that I'm attending are white. I'm seeing that the people who took me through my testing or whatever to see if I'm a candidate were white. All the I'm gatekeepers. Seeing, right. The the administrative staff, white. And then I really started to, right, getting into that 12, 13, 14, 15, right, where, you know, this article that we had, we had read and, and are touching on a little bit speaks to the solidifying of these viewpoints both in in I think healthy and unhealthy ways but I think an unhealthy motivator is when you're already in a PWI and one of the things that you see is you know the principal calls himself a headmaster right and it's Going interesting yeah. it's, <laughs> it's just very interesting when you really think about and look at who's down to even just refer to someone of that title, master, right? Headmaster, like, oh my gosh, right? And the reactions that people have, even just compared to mine. Like when I heard that as like, this is how we refer to me, right? right? And it was like a school assembly. I'm looking around the room, like, are you gonna call? Are you, I'm not calling him. I'm gonna be right. <laughs> right. And especially, and, but the deeper meaning for that, for me with that is that I'm not going to call you something that, that systemically this country does not want me to reach. I'm not going to, I'm not going to address you at a level that I can't personally aspire to. 
Um, well, and what's really interesting about that as well is like context and and perspective, right? So you just said headmaster and I immediately was like, oh, it's so British because I live in England and that's what they call, you know, like the head of headmistress, headmaster, head boy, head girl. And your context being a black man is obviously very different than mine. And what you're hearing is completely unacceptable in terms of like how you're supposed to address this person of authority. like. And the fact that you're the only one in the room going, guys, uh, <laughs> no one else see how this is not okay. <laughs> and I'm not even getting into the the slavery aspect, of, right? You know, because that's definitely a factor. Oh, that's what I immediately thought of. I, right, and, that, and I'm yeah. so glad you said that because I know that for any for for a person listening right now, right, they would probably that's probably the first thing that they would think about which is why I'm coming from the lens of that's not even the angle I'm coming from. As I know, that's where I can expect you to find that gap, that entry point, right? And and the reality is I just want to show people that there are multiple entry points to these kinds of things. And it's the reason that we have to think like that is because this is not a one-size-fit-all kind of thing, right? As much as there are foundational aspects to these systems that carry out um, our functioning that do need to be looked at, rearranged, revamped, you know, 2.0 in a different direction. People are still people and people are still complex. And, and, and just because I'm feeling this way, doesn't mean that, you know, the brother next to me feels the same way. However, being able to have that conversation and knowing that it's okay to even ask those kinds of questions that I'm not a problem for asking these kinds of questions, that I'm not a problem for saying, you know, well, I'll happily address you as authority, just not in this way. That doesn't make me feel like this is the community that you claim to have built here. Because if it was, there wouldn't be a need for this master or, or whatever, right? Like, even real, like, I know principles that aren't even down with you calling them principle. You know what I mean? Just off of like, we're people here. Yes, I may be older. Yes, I may be whatever, right? But but you're still a functioning member of society in this realm, right? And and you can tell the places that really encourage that and, and bring that out of their out of their kids. And so I'm grateful to have experienced, you know, both sides, right? I've seen some of those communities <clears throat> just in the work that I've been able to do, also being in conflict resolution, right? But I've never been in that as a student. And I think that is the most unfair part. Mm. You know, it's it's beautiful that I got my work experience to see what is out there, right? So I know it can be done. I know schools can try this and try that if they really wanted to, and especially the ones that do have the funding for a new library or funding for a new ball court or whatever, right? You can put that in different areas um, if you really wanted to. But I wish I experienced that more as a as a student, as a kid, and not. Mm someone who's stepping out of that role um, to show up uh, for work. So, And ultimately, your experience at that school, especially with the other kids, is going to be a result of parents like me who are either doing the work or not doing the work or think they're doing the work, but still scared to have this conversation, right? right. Like, right. I, I'm what, however many years into this now, and I am like fully on board with the conversation. And we've been having the conversation, but I still... I'm uncomfortable. I still am not sure. I still am not clear where the lines are. And, and 
and what is quote unquote appropriate and what is like, how am I going to set her up for being human, being kind, being honoring the differences in lived experience between like one of the conversations we've started to have is I've started to say to her, especially by, you know, I brought the Harriet Tubman and Rosa Park books and stuff home from the museum. And like a couple of like the Harriet Tubman book is a little intense, you know, for a four-year-old. And so we had to talk about like, what is this slave master doing with this whip? And like, the the language I ended up using was basically was around the idea that that oftentimes people who have darker skin aren't treated as well as people who have lighter skin. And it's not fair, is it? And so we've had conversations around these people are being treated badly and, you know, they're separated from their family. And here's what's happening here, there and wherever, because their skin is darker. And then letting the sort of confusion and frustration and anger like rise up in her a little bit because I remember that experience when I was younger of like hang on what that's crazy who would do that it's madness like I want that indignation early in her that this is so unfair and so wrong because I think that is a kernel of something that is so much more valuable than getting the words right or you know yeah, because the, other, the flip side of that is that children who look like me, look like Justin, are sitting with that feeling of what's wrong with me, that people mm-hmm. would do this to me, to people who look like me, simply because of our skin color. Like what something has to be wrong, even when you're receiving messages from your parents or the adults in your life that nothing's wrong with you and you can do anything and you're beautiful, all those things. The larger message that keeps getting communicated is no, uh, it's almost like these folks are lying to you. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes this thing of, well, you're my parents, so you're supposed to, right? Or you love me, so you're supposed to say these things. But that's not the truth. The truth is something must be wrong or why else would this have happened if we're talking about history or why else would I be receiving the message now, present day, that my skin color isn't beautiful or or if it, even if it is, it's still not good enough because it's not white. Mm. Yeah. And, and one of the things uh, we'll, we'll put the, this article in the link for, for people. I think that it's a really good resource that you've provided to have some really practical tips for how to actually have these conversations based on different ages and different topics, which I think is just such a useful tool to carry this conversation into the real world with our kids and the children in our lives. But I think your point is so powerful around, you know, thinking about being a kid. And I know, Justin, we've talked about this before. I'm like, just how hard it is to be an awkward 12-year-old or a teenager and going when you start to have all that self-awareness and you start really grappling with your self-esteem and self-worth, like it's hard enough just existing, right? Being a little bit chubby or having pimples or being too tall or too thin or too whatever, right? That's all the beauty standards. and the experience of you know i i would i would bank on every white person i ever talked to having some sort of experience where they felt 
scared or criticized or not enough as a teenager because it's a difficult time of life. So when you take that baseline for the quote unquote normal beauty standard projected by white supremacy, and then you add on top all these messages of, oh, but also (laughs) like you don't even get to play in this camp because you're over here. Yes. Like I don't, I like obviously no white person can ever comprehend that because we don't have that lived experience. But what I'd be interested in sort of discussing is, Justin, the experience that you had with the kids that you went to school with, the experience you had, you had friends, and I'm assuming you had friends who were kind to you. I'm sure you had bullies. I'm sure you had just straight up assholes who were just horrific. Like, and came in the form of adults. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. One of those came in the form of white adults, but continue. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I think the question that a lot of like white parents will be sitting with is like, what's what's the best case scenario for my kid as a white kid in this world to show up and be kind, an ally, safe for a black kid to be friends with like what would your sort of thoughts be on best case scenario for a white friend who is solid and safe for you what does that look like what does that look like yeah i think the main thing for me is curiosity uh the ability to question and to feel safe in that in just that I don't know what I don't know. I, again, just really, you know, my experience is my experience. That's like really the only lens I can come from. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the types of kids I went to school with, you know, they got to see the world very early. Like the way that we were having spring breaks, it was like, oh, like what you guys do for spring break? Like, oh, I went to... Bora Bora, like seventh grade. I went to Bora Bora. Oh, I went to Italy and then this other place. Oh, I went to this place and then my second home for a while and then this. And I'm like, I pulled an all-nighter with my brother one night playing Smash Bros, eating Doritos under a tent that we made out of the chairs and blankets that we had to to do that. Like that's solid just what, fort. A solid like, fort. Solid like fort. Solid court. Um, but that's just what it was. So I feel like these kids came back feeling like, like not like they knew everything, but that they had seen close to everything. So that there was no real need or or desire or no point for them, honestly, to step out of their own experience and see what's honestly completely othering from what they know of their lens of the world to be because they'd seen the glitz they'd seen the glamour they'd seen even just of the stuff that wasn't pretty it might have been in the prettiest places right um or around some of the wealthiest people right so they're around people who might not have put them on that flight right but someone who recommended them to do this one thing that this one person might need for them in the future which turns into a job or an internship yeah Mm-hmm. That later gets you on that flight, which only then becomes because you're looked at as someone who's trusted to believe in and whatever, right? 
um, that that type of stuff only becomes culture for you. So again, I think curiosity is everything because I have friends even to this day who are, you know, from some of these spaces, right? But what separates them from other the other, I think, you know, white people that we coexist with or coexisted with is that of all the of all that they've seen, of all the people they've met and all the people they've encountered, they're still curious. They still know there's more out there. They still know that, you know, we're we're gonna die unfinished products. Right. So and that this world is going to change down to the language we use every day that we're here. So kind of like for them, it's like for them, even part of the curiosity is asking the question of why would I limit myself to this one lens in such a complex world? Like I've heard that question from young white people and I've heard that well, not heard it. I've seen it never be asked within white people of themselves um yeah so i think curiosity is everything they're just not afraid to say i don't know what i don't know and and i want to see something i've never seen before yeah i i think as a parent it's really important for white parents to not be in this frame of mind of that it's not okay to talk about race that uh, you know, as you said, the whispering. Yeah, I wanted to arc back. <laughs> right, the whispering yeah. of black, the uh, the that it that recognizing and helping their kids to recognize that where different starts based on white supremacy and systemic racism is anything that is not or anyone that is not white, and that that it that it's important to understand that that is not where different starts. We're all different. And so respecting that we're all different, I love the piece about curiosity about how we're different and not always reaching for the similarity. The similarities are so much easier, I think, to focus on because people don't want to feel uncomfortable because being different has been made to be uncomfortable when it, in fact it is just such an incredible gift that we have all these differences because the gaps that exist in our lives can be filled in by folks who are different in quotes again because as i said the system has designed difference to start with white is what is right or normal normal mm-hmm. right and then Everything else is different. Mm. And really, it's all of the things that make us unique and all of the things that make up our experiences that can really help us. But the the issue is we got to be able to have good conversation about that. This is not your lens. You know, someone came away. There was someone in uh, that attended. We just had a summit. On the matter of race gives, uh, we do summits, we host summits uh, probably every seven or eight months, right? And we just had a summit and someone who had gone to the same elementary and uh, junior high school as me, who was a white woman, said in the comments, wow, it's clear that we had very different experiences growing up in the same neighborhood, going to the same schools. And I was so grateful 
that she was willing, not only had gotten it, but willing to it, put it in right, like, wow, had no idea. And I, and we teach this, that we are living different lives, even when we live next door to each other, go to the same schools, and that needs to be talked about. And please teach your children that their experience is their experience. It is not everyone's experience. It is not the end all and beam all experience. It is not the experience that counts. It is not the experience that is above everybody else's and is right. It is simply theirs. Therefore, when we share our experiences from our lens, we're the expert on that and we should be believed. And that for me is problematic for a lot of white children. They don't believe it because it's not their experience. And they've gotten the message that mm -hmm. therefore it's wrong. Right. I think, I think one thing I'll add to that, thank you. Cause that's perfect. Then one thing I'll add to that is I'm not a parent, but I, I'm the youngest to one. I get like, I'm, I'm a son, right? Like, so I am a child. Like that's just, you know, and I think the reality is for a lot of kids, like we're looking to our parents before we look to our friends. Like we're studying our parents mm. and trying to absorb more from our parents than we are from our teachers, our peers, all like that's just something I think especially in these formative years, right? Like fourth grade, third grade to eighth, something like that. I'm but even before that. Even before that, but I'm just ballparking, right? Of just mm -hmm. where I, speaking also just from what I remember, right? Mm -hmm. Childhood. Like, Hardcore yeah. childhood, yeah. Right, right, right. So we're, we're looking to y'all. So at the end of the day, we can sniff out very quickly whether or not you as a person are walking whatever talk that you're talking. Or the reality is I've seen as a, I can remember seeing as a young person, white parents who were the parents of some of these kids of color in these spaces that I was in, I could tell that these were not conversations that were being had like at the dinner table, right? Like, like you as a, white person looking at your child who's of color right and doing whatever you can to stay away from this topic sure. yeah what a disservice you know what i mean what a disservice like can you imagine being a familiar stranger like in your own home and the reality is like these dynamics are are happening a lot more than people think of especially like you know white parents of with you know children of color who just haven't done the work themselves yeah feeling like maybe not maybe not outright oh we're gonna raise them this way but certainly we're just gonna stay away from essentially part of who they are and part of what they identify with that is not yours to hold mm -hmm. yours to present but it's not yours to hold on to in the sense of like, you get to go to bed with that identity too, yeah. right? So 
I think because of, as we've talked about a little bit, just like that fear of unknown, that fear of difference, which is, I think, a natural human response. Sadly, you only feed it when you like whisper the word black, when you, I don't want to, I, I don't know, maybe they're too, or maybe they're too young or, Ooh, I don't know. Like no one is saying as you even, even brought up, right. Like I would never advocate for bringing up a Harriet Tubman movie to a three-year-old. Like that's just never something that I would advocate for. Right. However, I, I'm, I'm all for curiosity questions. What's coming up for you and let's deal with what's coming up. And I think the reality is that there are too many dynamics out there in which these kids can sniff out that their parents, regardless of, of race, but specifically if I'm talking white parents and, and the layer of white parents with children of color, um, they can sniff out that this is something that, you know, their parent is not comfortable doing. And that is where stuff can get any bit rebellious in the sense of even just, I'm not going to listen to you when it comes to, I'm gonna eat anything. <laughs> Any, right. Like I'm, I'm not gonna eat breakfast. Perfect. Yeah. But I mean, like, I'm just gonna make things difficult because you're clearly not as trusted as I thought you were. Um, so you want to do the work yourself. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a parent, but I know, I, I know, I want to get a lot of stuff done for me before I have uh, another life that depends on my actions. You know, mm. and you know, to say. Yeah to say, well, skin color doesn't matter. I'd love that it didn't, but it does. <laughs> mm -hmm. And when you do that- it's Nice to live in that utopia, however. Right. You yeah. dismiss, and you think you're doing absurd, like you're thinking totally. you're doing a good thing. Totally. It's not a good thing. In particular, it's not a good thing if you are a white parent of a child of color, right? To a black child, especially. Because then you are dismissing a very real part of what this society looks at, right? And you, it's harder to build that self-esteem because you're saying it doesn't matter when it actually does and it doesn't. I get the point you're trying to make, right? It's who the person is. However, skin color does matter in this country. So to to peel away those layers, that means you got to be doing the work yourself. Because before we went on and hit record, I was saying that still to this day, I encounter white children who clearly have never been around Black people. And in fact, they have a look of terror in their eyes, not curiosity, terror in their eyes. So clearly, whether it's been intentional messages that are negative about us or whether it's been societal messages, they've gotten the message that not just that something's wrong with us, but we are to be feared. And the reality is, I think just with what I'm saying on top of that, is that you can already bank on society and the outside world warping your child in some way, shape, or form, with some form of information on whatever topic that is opposed to whatever you personally would put out there, right? However, you don't want to add to that when they come home and they're in their safe haven where they can compare, contrast, dissect, and actively choose to support whatever it is that they're learning out there, right? So that's why for me, I. It's harder. 
I, I think for, you know, just a kid to put it into language that makes sense. But um, again, we, we just, we can tell who, who is like a trusted source for us like pretty early. Like we can yeah. tell who are, who are, you know, villages and things of that nature. So you don't want to be the person that's, that's to whatever. The dissonance. A dissonance. Yeah. Already yeah. out there in the world. And this, it comes back to our checklist conversation, doesn't it? Of like, I feel like every one of these episodes, you know, by nature of a podcast, you discuss a topic, you want a solution, you want something actionable to walk away with, right? But the reality is there is no checklist for this. And we're back to the same position. And, you know, I'd love to talk about the the media side of this in a second and, and what's going on there. But um, which arcs back to this topic, which is, you know, we we always go into this work as white people wanting the checklist of how to not fuck it up, right? Like, please just don't let me get it wrong, get embarrassed, get canceled, blah, 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 et cetera. And, you know, I feel like, you know, once again, we're coming back to the conversation around the fact that there's no band-aid for this, right? There's no like, here's the textbook on how to talk to your kids about race that's actually going to be effective if you can't talk about race anywhere, if you can't think critically about race, if you can't engage in conversation about race with people of color because you are not safe to be in conversation with them because you have never had that conversation. And, you know, what what I hear, because I'm having these conversations all the time, I am like the queen of the awkward conversation at the most awkward time. It's great. Um, it's like my new superpower, um, being super awkward and bringing up race. You know, it's true when there are major, you know, events going on in the world where, you know, someone is murdered or, you know, something's happening where white supremacy is so clearly happening. And there's always some version of this language, which is, well, I just don't, I just, I don't know. You know, I I wouldn't know where I'm just it's some version I'm uh, I'm ill-equipped, right, to have this conversation. That's that's the honest feedback that you get from someone who isn't having this conversation. I don't I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know what to say. Aren't they a bit young? Like blah blah blah, etc. And obviously the answer to that is get equipped. <laughs> like not because you're going to be an expert, not because you're going to get it right all the time. Not because there's going to be a fucking checklist you can tick off one through 10. Get yourself in the conversation. Read a book, have a conversation, take on the matter of race, like start doing the work because there is no supplement for that, right? There is, and trust me, I looked. I looked like, where's the hack? Where's the shortcut? Syllabus, right? Like, how do I get there faster? Because that is my personality. Um, <laughs> There is no hack in there. And, you know, we had this conversation early on, and this is a good segue back to the media of, you know, that discomfort around being a brand where I remember saying to you really early on in the, on the matter of race journey, like I, this is where my heart is and this is where my intentions are. And this is who I am and what I feel and what I believe. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to, there was a couple pieces of it. I don't know how to say it, but then I figured it out because words are my thing. And then it's, I don't know how to expand my circle because I so desperately don't want to be in a white bubble, but I am. Mm -hmm. And 
then there was like, I don't know how to project that because then, you know, as a business owner, when we start this conversation, the first instinct for so many brands and businesses is to be like, oh, well, we'll do some sort of like, <laughs> we'll do some sort of like discount or scholarship, right? Yes. Right. Like people of color don't have money or need handouts. Right. Like this is how we'll broaden our circle. We'll just invite people in for free, like which fine to be fair. Sometimes there is a place for that. But but all of that comes from this place of wanting the hack, wanting the quick fix, wanting the to be better today, tomorrow, to not to get the ahead of it before you get canceled or called out to put those back to the media, to put those diverse stock images on your website, which is a good thing if there's something to back it up, right? If we go to your Instagram and look at your board of directors and it's reflected in these places as well, instead of just that media campaign that says like, oh, we're for everybody. Like, are you though? (laughs) Are you, Jay? What happens when you get those folks and there are no conversations that include race. There are no, I mean, there are people in on the matter of race who talk about the fact that they have been, they have been surprised that people of color and black and brown people and in particular, like, you're talking about this, or you've thought about this particular issue from the perspective of someone who's not white, like shocking. Like we, we love you. We love your work. We want to work with you, but this makes it even more welcoming and attractive to us that you're not afraid to even ask the question, I'm sorry, but how does this land with you from your lens? Because I recognize that mine is, is most likely different in this area. But even that question, so you can put up all the stock pictures you want. And as you said, your board of directors, right, is all white. But it's also when you get us in there and then you have no conversation or you're committing all these microaggressions or allowing other people in your village, your community, your Facebook group, whatever group it is, to commit microaggressions. And either not noticing it or definitely scared to touch it, then it it really doesn't make us feel like you really get it. It's clear that you're not doing your work. I'd rather that you stumble because you are doing your work and you're trying to at least have the conversation and recognize that you're making mistakes than that you say that you are inclusive or whatever language you're using. And the only thing that you're doing is putting up faces that look like mine and saying you're inclusive and nothing more. Yeah. Yeah, But you won't be welcome when you get here. That'll be fun for you. (laughs) That's right. And I know for me, I'm very, I'm discerning. I look and I see, wow, okay, nothing that looks like me or there's no conversations that are had around this. And I... I'm, you could be great at what you do, but if I'm going to have to spend uh, a lot of time in your community working with you, then I'm very discerning about whether or not you're going to be able to handle the kinds of conversations that I need handled. I mean, something really important like mental health and how many white 
therapists bristle at the notion that they might not be someone who's good for someone who's black, uh, who's a Latino, because of that. Yeah, guess what? Because we live very different lives in a lot of cases. Fine, I won't generalize and say all of us do, but enough of us do, that something like a therapist who really can understand and let in or want to hear and then figure out how to help within that context, that is critically important because otherwise you do some serious damage and damage to the psyche happens enough, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So letting a therapist close to me or mine that really doesn't get it or hasn't lived the experience or doesn't want to get the experience but feels like we're all alike, yeah, that's not going to happen. And so same thing, if you're a coach, life coach, whatever it is you are, I'm, I'm very discerning about that. And that's not racism. That's not racist. That's understanding the way the system operates and knowing that it doesn't operate with me in mind. And I've got to make sure that where I spend my money, you're going to at least want to be doing your work and are doing your work to acknowledge that this is a real thing. Something came up while you were talking and it was sort of a memory and sort of a realization is a shift that I made in the first year of On the Matter of Race, where I realized there was no way around this becoming a big part of my life. Mm. And it, I was very resistant. And here's why it was language in my head around. I am not an activist. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be right activist. I don't want this fight. I don't want it. And the reality is, A, that's not true because I am a fighter and I do want it and I've always wanted it. <laughs> and this was just expanding my capacity and understanding of the people who I fight for. But it was a switch that had to be flipped. And I think this is a switch in... I'm thinking of like a lot of my friends and peers and people who are like on that edge of wanting to do the work, but not really doing the work. And I think it's, this is probably a white person thing. I don't know. You can tell me from your experience if this <laughs> tracks, but um, this like, this like academic approach to a course, right? Mm -hmm. Like where's the syllabus? What are we going to do? What are we going to achieve? Where's our certificate right. passing, right? Like this linear I'm going to learn it and then I'm going to take the test and I'm going to own it. And then I move on. Right. Like that's how I learn things and do things. And in our businesses, we're like, oh, I need to learn YouTube. I'm going to go do a thing. I'm going to try it out, see what happens and then move on. And I think there's so few things, at least in my own life, where when you take something on, when you invest time, when you invest money, when you invest energy, when you invest hurt and anguish and sleepless nights into something those are not things we normally take on on purpose yeah like we don't normally sign up for that shit mm -hmm. like I've never had that experience of like I need this I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna commit to this and it's forever <sighs> mm -hmm. and I remember that switch flipping of like oh <laughs> now I know there's no going back now I know this has to be a part of my life, my parenting, my work, my relationship, every conversation I ever have, my social media, like 
everything. And I didn't want that. I didn't want that to be true because the reality is if you're human and if you let it affect you and if you go there, then there is no turning back. And if you, once you see it, you can't not be moved by it. And then action is required. Otherwise you're complicit in the harm. Well, the, the other thing is that it also says you have a choice, which we do not have. Exactly. You yeah. choose to say, I'm not an activist. I don't want to do this. Yep. 41 years. I got to tick no. <laughs> yeah. And your life and in all honesty, we talk about this on the matter. Your life will be great. Your life can still be fine. And my kids' right? lives probably fine. That's yeah, right. That's mm-hmm. right. But that's not the reality of people of color. Like yeah. this is a part of our lives. Unless it's something that your parents are saying the same thing, right? My parents, I'll say, they tried that approach in the beginning. And then Dr. King was assassinated and I had like, I hadn't even heard of it. Like, why am I in it? What's going on? And my life changed at that point. But actually even before then, because even moving into an all white neighborhood, there were racial incidents, uh, one in which I almost lost my life. I talk about that in my book and just like, it affected my life, but I didn't have a lot of places to put it because they wanted the safety of if you just go on with your life and do the best you can and treat everybody nice. I got that too, right? Then you'll be okay. Or they were really praying and hoping that we would be okay. I think they really believed that at some point this was going to end. And some point early on in our lifetimes, my sister and I, not not later on, like now we're still not any real, that much closer to it. I mean, we're dealing with a black history not being taught or not wanting it to be taught, like banished from, I mean, it's like this is where we are. This is where we are right now. But they were hoping, I believe, that if we would be well past this. So they thought they'd teach us in this way. And the reality is it's not that way. If you are black, brown, Asian in this country, Latino, it just not, right? So for white people though, you can, especially if your kids don't have friendships with children of color. But I will say, even if you do, we don't often feel safe enough to have the conversations with our white friends. Therefore, it doesn't have to come up there either. Mm. or you your kids and you can say oh that's really sad or oh I will, that's awful that that happens and then move on yeah yeah and I think this is really important for the kid conversation because this just keeps coming up as we're having this conversation is just to put a fine point on it like the reason I have this conversation with my four-year-old and I've been having it with her since she was since she could talk really the reason I brought home the Harriet Tubman book, and we have read it 27 times at least, you know, she is fascinated by it. The reason that I don't get caught up in the, aren't they a bit young? Like, isn't it a bit like, is because of exactly what you said, because I have the choice. Yeah. It is a choice for me. I'm never going to have to have the conversation that you had to have with Justin when he was getting his driver's license. 
I'm never going to have, I'm going to have so much fear about so many things in my kid's life, but that is never going to be one of them. I'm going to have all kinds of fear about them being women in this world. Like that is some scary shit, but it's never, ever going to be the conversations that you've had to have with your son and the realities that you face, Justin, just being in the world, (laughs) just walking down the street. I know my kids are never, ever going to have to face those same things. So theoretically, it is 100% a choice. And I think that is the bit where I can't, I can't make any other choice than to have the conversation because it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be Justin who has to sit down and have that conversation. Like it, at the very, very least, I want to try and do whatever I can to nurture a human being who could be a solid, solid sidekick for Justin in any situation, who understands what it's like to, to under, who understands what it's like to be white and understands that that lived experience is different than someone who has darker skin in a lot of scenarios, especially when it starts to get into the realm of authority. Yeah. And to understand that being white doesn't mean that your child has to feel guilty uh, about who they are, about being white. Like that's the rhetoric that goes with it. Mm. Oh, when you start teaching them, then they feel the shame. No, they understand the history, right? There's some responsibility. We all have responsibility in different areas of the history of this country, right? So uh, whether we're talking about race or gender, ability, like any of any of those things, uh, sexual orientation, like all of those things, we have a responsibility if we actually can learn the history. So it isn't about you're a bad person as a white person, be an informed white person who can have the conversation. So when something happens that you know in your heart has to have some effect on your black friend, that you're not afraid or ashamed to say, hey, do you need to talk about this? I'm here, right? Uh, you, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it if you, if you want to, as opposed to, I'm not touching this. Or worse, I don't even, it doesn't even occur to me <laughs> that it, it's something that you might even be affected by or want to talk about, right? That's worse. Because then we know now we can't have the conversation with edu- without having to educate you, I'll give a lot of education to you before we can even begin to talk about how we're feeling about this. And then you're in a vulnerable space and the chances of that being not a safe space or starting out safe and then becoming unsafe as we've seen over and over again, because, uh, you know, pe- white people are fragile and can only take so much like how did heaven forbid you might raise your voice because you get angry or passionate about whatever is going on and now you're oh it's it's a bit much isn't it right right yes you can talk about this but not like that you have to yeah Yeah. i i was actually sitting in a uh at an event and and there was a panel talking about racism and it was a mixed panel and one white woman said, yeah, but it's the way you talk to me about it. And and the other white woman said, that's right. absolutely." And I said, I'm not sitting here. It was, it was 
this year. Yeah, so 20, I'm sitting here in 2023 for white people telling the two people of color on the panel who do the work that, yeah, but not, not if you're going to talk to me like this or not if you're, wow, really? And it flew. It, it went, it, you know, nobody challenged it because uh, unfortunately they weren't taking comments from the audience because I was right front yeah, row, like, yo, <laughs> but nobody challenged it and it flew. And I'm thinking, wow, really? So here we are, white people are taking charge of this conversation and telling us how we have to teach. And I want to give a shout out to all the people uh, who signed up for the white people who signed up for On the Matter of Race, who after probably like a year of being in the program said, I didn't know what to expect. I thought you were going to yell at us and I signed up anyway. <laughs> Shout out to y'all. <laughs> that's not what we do, but that you were willing right. <laughs> to be yelled at. I think the deeper message for that, for me within that is, right, we're talking as we did briefly about choice, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that we have to deal with that as people uh, we just don't have a choice of like having to accept or having to get out of like there's just no getting out of that type of thing in this. I prefer way. not to deal with racism today, thank you. Yeah. And, like, no, there's no Forever. choice. But in the few areas in which we do have power, one of the choices that we do make is finding the joy in all of this struggle finding a reason to smile in all this bloodshed, right? Like finding a reason to love in all of this like compromise, right? And so the reality is I don't blame white people if they tap into it and they're kind of just like, oh, this is a little too scary. This is a little too deep. This is a little, you know, out of bounds for me, right? Uh, because you can still live a fulfilling life walking away from this work, right? However, I mean, if we can find joy in this fight too, because we still wake up and want to do this work. We still wake up and want to have these conversations. We still want to take on the emotional weight that this work causes you know, to to hold, right? And we have to lift as we carry so that everyone, so it's it's constant. However, if we can do that and white people can find the joy in, I don't know, like raising baby tigers until they're full size and like playing with them at full size or cliff diving with no gear and climbing up the cliff the whole time, like you can find the joy in, you know, really asking yourself some of these questions before you go out into the world and, and ask them of someone else. Um, you know, we we just want to coexist a little better than we ever have. We completely um, because if you really think about it, I'm proud of where we are today in the sense of where we really have come from. Really, of what what we've come from to get to today, absolutely. But the main difference that I see is that we can coexist in the bathroom together or we can be in a classroom together and I don't have to worry about every moment like fearing something happening. And that's not even something we can calmly say now with with kids feeling safe in school for plenty of reasons. Right. So the reality is we have so much work to do and and 
it all starts internally before it, you know, uh, becomes something that um, gets nourished in in the external. Um, war doesn't start in one day, right? Peace doesn't start in one day. Mm. None of this starts in one day, and it's not a one-time thing, right? It's not a, I did this for a certain amount of time. I've received this accolade, so I'm good. It's like there's too many days, too many years, too many seconds, too many minutes to live in a in any kind of bubble for any person. So thanks, Justin. And I will say, like, flipping the switch is the best decision of my life. Like, I still kind of don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Um but I also it, it has unlocked for me like such deeper layers of what I'm here to do. And it has put context to that work that is so much deeper and more meaningful and profound than it was before. And I have language now and I have, I understand more systems and structures that I didn't realize were playing out the way that they were that are fundamentally part of what I am here to destroy <laughs> um and and for me that started growing up in you know having half my family in a very repressive religion and having best friends who were gay and watching these things play out in real time and that forged in me this anger and and need for as you say glorifying difference like we should not be crushing difference we should be glorifying it and and loving each other as we are like you know kumbaya tra la la like but reality is I get so angry about these systems of oppression and I wouldn't have even had the words systems of oppression before I met you. And now I have such like, not in any way saying I am done with the work. I'm still ankles, ankles deep. I'm not even ankles yet. I'm still feet deep, <laughs> but like I have tools now and I understand that the switch has been flipped and I understand that this is a lifetime of work and it is deeply sad and deeply empowering and deeply connecting work. And I think there's just, there is no, there is no substitute for, you want to be a good parent and teach your kids how to talk about race, how to talk to your kids about race, like do the work. <laughs> no, over time, yeah, no, over time, it's just yeah. something that, oh gosh, yeah, I grew up talking about race in my household. No, no problem. Right. That's, that's like anything that you are going to have conversations about throughout your children's lifetime. They're going to be able to say to whoever, yeah, we grew up talking about sex in my household. Like that, that was yeah. never taboo, right? So growing up talking about race in my household, you know, that's never taboo. So yeah, I mean, I would have loved, I would have loved to have been able to come over to uh, white friends' homes and their parents actually be able to engage in the conversation, right? That never happened. Well, the only thing that ever happened was how proud they were that their child was friends with me. I don't even and think then I can at the dinner tell you. Yeah, yeah. But but well, I'm talking about when I was growing up, right? right. 
how vile that felt even then as a child that your, my mother never, my mother or my father never said to me they were proud that I had white friends. I mean, they just, it, it just like, what in the world do you think is accomplished by saying that I'm a charity case? I mean, it, that is such a bad message. So I'm going to say to you, if you're embarrassed right now, because you're saying that, you know, to your child, okay, stop, just stop. Stop. saying it. I understand why. I don't need you to spend time right on the shame wheel around it. Just recognize, oh, wow, that's not the message I thought it was, right? It's actually a message that is harmful. Yeah, because it makes me feel like I am some kind of charity case and your child deserves a prize. For doing the bare minimum. Right. And I yeah. think one thing on top of that that you'll notice when hearing both of us speak of our experiences is there are a lot of similarities in simply just the way people of color and white people have coexisted in schools, in these types of environments of, you know, uh, like a dinner, play date, whatever the hell it is, right? Being on sports teams, right? Um, living in, in a neighborhood that's diverse. A lot of similarities. I'm 22 and my mom is 65. 65. And the reality is, like, that's beautiful in some senses of like how we can talk and relate and, and some of the bonding that we've done, right? But it's sad at the same time that these are the things that have been the foundation for all of the joy and beauty that I do see in the world. Like ugly was the start. Mm-hmm. And how much hasn't changed. And how much hasn't changed. Generation. And, and I grew up in this same neighborhood. Right. For me to even want to find the beauty. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the part that messes with my head a little bit. But And it all begins with our kids. Yeah. Right. That's also another it conversation that... You know, yes, white parents definitely, you know, there's going to be stuff you relate to your kids about just all the time. It's, you know, things get passed down, like we're extensions of each other. But those types of stories, you know, there's more of a chance of, of changing the chapters. And we want that chance. But Final thoughts. Yeah. You, oh, why do I have to go ahead? <laughs> Talking to your kids about race. (laughs) Final thoughts, you know, do it. You start. You'll make mistakes. Kids are naturally curious. So just answer questions. If you don't have the answers, there are. I mean, now, unlike when, even when Justin was coming up, there are books that will help you with basic questions don't shy away from their curiosity don't try to downplay oh it's not nice to notice that about some like why are they noticing it and what what do they think about that and and be tuned into whether they think it's bad because then you really want to uh, to intervene with some knowledge that lets them know that it isn't that it may be natural or maybe why do you feel like it's better to be white? Like, don't be, Oh, don't say that. That's not like, so <laughs> do not interact with fear 
really just help them to not be afraid of the having the conversation? I would say for anyone, it starts with you before it starts with anything or anyone else, right? Lock in on what your goals are, your intentions are for whatever it is, whatever relationship you're in, whatever opportunity you're going for. And I would amplify that for the white parents. So same message, but I would amplify that for the white parents in that, again, y'all got the parent thing on me, right? So I will never say that I get it. I can only imagine the mental and emotional and, and physical and all these spaces that you have to put yourself in um, to show up for your children and, and that that's difficult and draining at times. But I would add this to your toolbox, the ability to have this conversation, the ability to even just not be afraid to have this conversation. Either one, your desire to chase either goal to have it, right, be informed, that's cool, um, or to just know that you're on a journey of learning and you're not afraid to let that be known. Uh, because I'm telling you that I'm here today to doing this because I know from the adults in my life that my curiosity is okay, um, it's respected, and it's actually something that the world could, could benefit from just even hearing there. Um, but I wouldn't have known that if it wasn't for the people who have laid that model for me. So yeah. One thing I'll add just as a parent is um, we're going to screw up a lot of things with our kids, right? Like better to do this imperfectly and do it. <laughs> better to do it ugly and awkwardly and just ask questions and start and try than to run in the opposite direction right because we're going to get it wrong all over the place <laughs> oh thank you guys for being here another wonderful conversation can't wait to have you back we'll see you soon awesome. yeah.